Welcome to the Big Sky Astrology Podcast with your host, astrologer and author, April Elliott Kent. Hello, invisible friend, April here, and the date today is September 25th, 2023. Welcome to episode 201 of the Big Sky Astrology Podcast. This week, a revealing Aries full moon. Venus makes a jolting aspect with Uranus. Busy Mercury aspects Jupiter and Uranus. And I take on a listener question about the location for your solar return. But first, I thought I would share with you this lovely review of the podcast that came in from Chef Lori Gogan. It says, I look forward to April's upbeat, informative podcast every Monday. She delves into the times during the week when the moon is void, of course, and she also talks about the Sabian symbols corresponding to the planetary placements. These are things I've yet to hear on other astrologers' podcasts. She also answers a listener question each week, which helps me deepen my astrology knowledge. Thank you, April. Well, thank you very much, Chef Lori. That is lovely to hear. I always like to hear that people enjoy those particular segments, especially the Sabian symbols that I am so fond of. So I'm really glad that you're enjoying them out there. I also have this review that came in from Sandy in Sarasota. April Elliott Kent brings her accessible style to the art of astrology. As a practicing astrologer, I always pick up new ways of describing a planet, sign, or planetary configuration. Thanks, April, for all of your hard work given to us in such a joyful way. Oh, thank you, Sandy. That is so nice. I just wanted to share those with you because I know I'm always asking at the end of each podcast if you would leave a review or a rating of the podcast. And I think that if somebody does read those reviews, they might be more inclined to take a listen to an episode and see if they enjoy it. And they certainly make my day. So thank you very much. The week begins with Mercury's trine to Jupiter on September 25th at 5.10 a.m. Pacific time. At 14 degrees, 51 minutes of Virgo and Taurus. The first two in this series of trines were on August 9th and September 4th. And those first two trines really emphasized naturalness and practicality since both of these planets are in Earth signs. In fact, they made their first trine in the series on the same degrees as this one and the same Sabian symbols. Mercury is on 15 Virgo, an ornamental handkerchief, and Jupiter is on 15 Taurus, a man muffled up with a rakish silk hat. Both of those symbols are such a perfect picture to me of practical things, a handkerchief being bundled up against the elements that have that little flair of something fancy along with them. And when we have two planets in Earth signs, it always begins with making sure that things are done in a way that will last, that really serve their purpose and then we can embellish them with a little bit of flair. The embroidery on the handkerchief, the rakish silk hat. Now, Jupiter has a lot of big ideas. And in Taurus, 
many of those ideas may have to do with things we want to buy, upgrades to our lifestyle, increasing our income. Mercury is in charge of putting together a plan on how to make that happen. The spreadsheets, the timeline, looking for deals, figuring out how to use our existing skill set to make more money. If you've done your work during the previous two trines, you should have a pretty good sense by now of what's really important to you, as well as a pretty good plan for how to get it. And now for the moon report for the week of September 25th. We begin with the Aries full moon on September 29th at 2.57 a.m. Pacific time. It's at 6 degrees Aries. The Aries full moon highlights the balance between Libra, which is the sign that tends to take others into account before acting, and Aries, which symbolizes putting ourselves first. The full moon in Aries lets us know if this polarity is out of balance in our lives or if we need to pump up the energy on one side or the other. If we've been putting ourselves first a little too often, it's time to pay attention to what others need. And if we're paying too much attention to what others need at the expense of ourselves, well, it's time to pump up the Aries side of our nature. Mars is the planet that rules Aries, and it's currently in Libra, so we can assert ourselves as needed while still being reasonably civilized and polite. Aries, in general, is great for getting us unstuck and for helping propel us forward if we've been procrastinating or just having a hard time summoning the energy or sometimes the courage to do something we need to do. This is the full moon in a lunar phase family cycle that began on March 31st, 2022 with the new moon at 11 degrees 30 minutes Aries. The first quarter in this cycle was on December 29th, 2022. And now we're at the full moon. The last quarter will be on June 28th, 2024. So if we think back to the end of March last year, when the new moon was in Aries, I think that we can probably start to identify what it was that was happening at that time, the important things that were getting started. Then at the first quarter moon in December of 2022 would have been the time when there was some kind of action that moved that new moon narrative forward. Now at this full moon, we're in a position to better see what it was that we initiated at that Aries new moon. And then at the last quarter in June of next year will be the time for making any kind of changes, last minute alterations, and make one final big push to bring that matter to completion. Let's look at the void of course moon periods for this week. On September 26, the moon in Aquarius squares Uranus at 5.38 a.m. Pacific time, it's void, of course, for a little under 12 hours before entering Pisces at 5.18 p.m. That is a nice, long, void, of course, moon period. 
What does it want to teach us? The moon in Aquarius is communal and friendly, a little bit detached. It's ruled by two planets, Saturn, the traditional ruler, and Uranus, the modern ruler. The square from the moon to Uranus seems to be asking, which do you need more of in your life? Saturn, with its rules and boundaries, or Uranus, which needs more freedom and independence? During this protracted void of course moon period, pay attention to these two ideas and how they show up in the world around you today. What behaviors would you benefit from changing, the Saturnian ones or the Uranian ones? On September 28th, the moon in Pisces sextiles Pluto at 1.57 p.m. Pacific time. It's void, of course, for about three and one quarter hours before it enters Aries at 5.17 p.m. Each month, the moon's time in Pisces can be very restful and imaginative, but it can also be a time when we get a little bit lost and off course. The sextile to Pluto from the moon in Pisces signals a void of course moon period when we break any habits that we have of procrastination or of just kind of letting ourselves float off course. And instead, practice exerting some focus on some particular objective. It could be something for work, maybe, or project around the house. And see if you can combine that lovely Pisces imagination to also being very focused and getting things done. On September 30th, the moon in Aries squares Pluto at 2.49 p.m. Pacific time. It's void, of course, for about three and a half hours before it enters Taurus at 6.18 p.m. When the moon is in Aries, it is hurry up time, and we sometimes skip a few necessary steps along the way. The square to Pluto shows us where we have missed steps and kind of shows us the consequences of doing that. This void, of course, moon period is a time to retrace our steps, finish up what we missed, and hopefully bear all of this in mind the next time we let ourselves go racing ahead without really taking a close look at what we're doing. On September 29th at 10.52 a.m. Pacific Time, Venus squares Uranus, At 22 degrees 40, Leo and Taurus, this is another aspect that is the final one in a series. The first aspect in the series was on July 2nd, and the second one was on August 9th, while Venus was still retrograde. I see this series of squares as having been about awakening us to what it is that we value, how we value ourselves and how we are being treated by others. Venus's aspects to Uranus always highlight the potential tension in relationships between togetherness and independence. If that's something that came up for you during the previous two exact squares, now is the time to come to some kind of resolution by negotiating the particulars of how to have 
both. Venus is also a symbol of money, and it could be that something that you spent money on back in early July, and maybe you found a problem with it in early August, is now about to finally be resolved. This can be a time of coming into sudden windfalls. It can also be an unexpected expense. And on September 30th at 9.55 a.m. Pacific Time, Mercury trines Uranus. At 22 degrees, 38 minutes, Virgo and Taurus, Mercury's on the Sabian symbol, 23 Virgo and animal trainer, and Uranus is on 23 Taurus, a jewelry shop. These are two symbols we've seen quite a lot in recent weeks. We first saw it when Mars was on the animal trainer degree and aspecting Uranus on August 16th. And I remember saying at the time, this is the time to train your temperament and your physical energy in order to achieve the benefits of Uranus, which would be inspiration and breakthroughs. Then we had the sun trine Uranus on September 15th at the same degree. And I remember saying, this is the time to train your ego if your sense of self tends to get a little bit out of hand. Now Mercury is trying Uranus, and it's time to train our minds in order to achieve inspiration and breakthroughs. This is a fantastic time for inspiration and for brainstorming. It's a great time for breakthroughs and any kind of problem you've been trying to solve, especially physical, practical problems. The right inspiration just seems to show up at the right time. And to me, that is the promise of this combination where we have Mercury on the animal trainer degree and Uranus on a jewelry shop offering a bounty of glittering gems of ideas. So if you've been looking for just the right time to brainstorm ideas for your work or for anything else, really, this is a wonderful aspect for it. And we will probably experience its influence a couple of days in advance. So between, say, the 28th and into those early couple of days of October, sit down with your notepad and your favorite pen and make lists and lists. And I think you'll come up with one or two gems. In this week's listener question, listener LH asks, Hi, April. I enjoy your podcast, especially the listener questions. Here's my question. I decided spur of the moment to spend my early August birthday at the beach. So I wrapped up work and I drove two hours west on the morning of my birthday under a Pisces moon and spent three days on the Delaware shore. When I finally had the chance to sit down and look at my solar return chart, I noticed that the shift of location, 130 miles west from my hometown, which is also my birth location, 
caused the solar return sun to shift from the 8th house to the 7th house, as well as some other shifts. Since my natal sun, Mercury, Venus, and Pluto are in the 8th house, placements that can sometimes be unbearable, I was delighted to see the sun shift to the 7th house, where I have no natal planets. The work that takes most of my time is financial management, and I handle day-to-day real estate issues for a trust. Often, I'm up to my eyeballs in plumbing emergencies and roof leaks, and the creative work that I would really like to be doing languishes. I've been wanting to focus more on literary writing, vocal creations, and dance collaborations, and I'm actively seeking friendships and partnerships that will commit to long-term projects with me, which continue to elude me for the most part. Some astrologers might say that I've shifted my solar return year by traveling to the beach, even if done quite innocently. Others might say that I'm stuck with the 8th house sun because it's my natal placement and it is the solar return placement for my hometown, and after all, I was only at the beach for a couple of days. I want to interpret the chart both ways, that I can, and always have, had access to 8th house issues, given my natal placements, and that because of a last-minute intuitive decision to drop my work and escape to the shore for my birthday, I now also have stronger access to 7th house and 3rd house themes this year. And by the way, I had a great time at the beach and got a lot done on a creative project. Do you have a view? LH. Well, thank you, LH. This is a very popular and rather controversial question. At the end of the day, it boils down to this. What is the most accurate location to set one solar return chart? Now, first, just a quick explanation of the solar return for those who may be unfamiliar with what it is. It's a chart cast for the exact moment each year when the sun returns to the exact degree, sign, minute, and second that it occupied at the time of your birth. Because of the difference between the calendar and our movement around the sun, this almost never happens at your exact birth time. It takes place sometime within two days of your birthday. And that exact time varies depending on the location we use to cast the chart. And the chart can change a lot depending on that location. The planets will still be in the same signs and the same relationship to one another, but they can be in different houses of the chart. And of course, you get a different wheel, a different rising sign, a different midheaven degree. Some astrologers feel strongly that you should use the location where you were born to cast this chart, regardless of where you live now, because the sun's return should be to the place where you started out, that it will resonate with that place. Others choose to cast the chart for the location where you spent your birthday. And in fact, there are people who intentionally travel for each birthday to a place where the wheel of the solar return chart will be more advantageous for certain things. This is an approach that LH is hoping to take. And then there are those who believe the more accurate chart is the one cast for the place 
where you live and spend the majority of your time. What I have observed over the years, LH, is that the chart that seems to best describe the solar year is the one that's cast for the place where you live. If I'm understanding correctly, the sun in the solar return chart is hovering very close to the boundary between the 7th and 8th houses. Again, astrologers I respect would read the sun as operating in both of these houses. When we're talking about the 7th and 8th, I think that makes good sense. The reason being that there are no lines in the sky that indicate exactly where the 7th house ends and the 8th house begins. The beginning of the 7th house is another matter because it begins at the observable horizon. So I suppose I would say, LH, that you can really look at both. But I will say that in my experience, the solar return chart for the place where you spend your birthday, if it's different than the place where you live, very often describes your birthday experience really well. But that when you return to the place where you actually live, that is the chart that seems to take priority. I encourage you to make copious notes over the next 12 months and see how things proceed. Now, as luck would have it, and this is a first on the podcast, I have this follow-up from listener LH, who said I could share it with you. LH wrote, Since I returned from my lovely beach trip, 8th house issues have gobsmacked me for the last month and a half. Credit card issues, double charges, debt-related irregularities, money, fund management for parents and daughter, financing of an investment, handling a friend's money related to death planning, etc. Eighth house has been full on, along with plumbing and roof leak issues that are costing a bundle. I had one lovely seventh house dance partnership experience that lasted exactly 48 hours and then dissolved back into eighth house woes. So it looks like I'm straddling the two and eighth houses ahead at the moment. Thanks, and I love the show. Oh, LH, thank you so much for sharing that. And I certainly hope you begin to see a little more of that lovely seventh house experience as your solar year goes on. I hope that that helps, LH. And if you, invisible friend, have a question you'd like me to answer on a future episode, just leave a message of one minute or less at speakpipe.com slash podcast, or email me at april at bigskyastrology.com and put podcast question in the subject line. That is everything I have on my show sheet, so I'm going to wrap this one up. Thank you for listening to the Big Sky Astrology Podcast. If you like what you're hearing, please be sure to subscribe or follow the show in your app of choice. Leave a rating or a review, and I hope that you'll spread the word by telling an astrology-loving friend about the podcast. You can read show notes and full transcripts and leave your comments about each episode at BigSkyAstropod.com. 
I want to thank everyone who's shown their support for the podcast over the past year and during my recent Podathon. On each episode, I'm thanking some of my financial donors by name. This week, I'm giving a Big Sky Astrology podcast shout out to Catherine Boyer and Annette Eicherin Cotter. Catherine and Annette, thank you so much for listening to this show and for supporting the podcast with your donations. If you'd like to support the show and receive access to my bonus episodes at the equinoxes and solstices, including the one I just published last week for the Libra Equinox, please go to BigSkyAstropod.com. You can make a one-time donation in any amount. But in order to receive the bonus episodes, please donate $10 or more or become an ongoing monthly contributor. That's it for this episode. Join me again bright and early next Monday. And until then, keep your feet on the ground and your eyes on the stars. Thank you for listening. To learn more about April Elliott Kent, visit her website, BigSkyAstrology.com, where you can sign up for her newsletter, read her thoughtful essays, find out more about her books and classes, or book a personal astrology reading. That's all for today. If you're enjoying the podcast, please take a moment to follow or subscribe to stay current with new episodes, and please leave a rating or review. You can follow Big Sky Astrology on Facebook or Twitter and Big Sky Astrology April on Instagram. Thanks again for being here, and we hope you'll join us next time.